Renegade coaches back again. Yeah. Episode number 72. What? 72. Who said it was going to last this long? I don't know. I think everybody did. <laughs> if they had any sense in their mind, they knew this was going to be forever, 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 forever. And ever, never. The sponsors ain't uh, shut us down? Sponsors. Well, we ain't got no. You know That's right. Damn. Damn. Black owned. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's all the times you go like, fuck Israel. Yeah. And that kind of like keeps away the sponsorships. Yeah, probably. You know. And then we had Palestinian guests on it. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Then we had a... Uh, America's a white supremacist country. Right, right. We had, we, had a, we had a white Jewish dude talking about... Uh, fuck uh, Israel, basically. Fuck Israel. You know what I'm saying? Yes, we probably Mc, won't get yeah. no sponsors. McDonald's is not too crazy <laughs> about supporting that. We, we, had, we had Daruba on here. We had Daruba on. Uh, Cynthia McKinney. Yep. That, she had no fans. Uh, <laughs> the, the list goes yeah, on and yeah, on in terms of like why I had no sponsors. And you know, why we got no spot? Except playbacks down. Yeah, Rosa Clemente. Rosa Clemente, yeah, she's not well liked in the we media. Had your favorite rapper, Speech from Rest Development. Yeah. Speech, does Speech get any? Uh, oh, we had Griff on. Griff. Professor Griff, Her. Public Enemy. Yeah. That's right. And Griff be talking about Illuminati shit, so I know he ain't getting no money. You know, we got, nah, he, he with us. We, we have uh, to bring in some other guests. I, I we, had, we had Killer Mike yeah. on here. We're going to have to get some, some, we, some, we some, some mainstream guests. But we yeah. got some sponsors. We got Playback cool. Sound. We got True. Community Movement Builders. Okay. We got the Siafu Movement. Okay. True. We got, uh, we got the movement. FTP. Okay. We got a, that's, we all we need is the movement and the that's crowd. That's all we need. All the outlaws and outcasts. Word. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Why y'all talking about the sponsors we don't have? Nope. <laughs> to our listeners out there. Um, we got a lot of those. Yes. We, we, we now um, play back TV. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we have Renegade Culture Television going on right now, as you can see. Um, and so how did they get on Playback TV? Where did I go to? Man, so you go to YouTube, right? Yeah, yep. YouTube. Playback and, TV. Um, pull up Playback TV, type in Renegade Culture, yep. and you see us. Bam. If not, you'll be listening to us on Apple. To that. Google Play. True that. Mm-hmm. Spotify. Mm-hmm. Right on. Uh, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Mm. RenegadeCulture.org. RenegadeCulture.org. We is everywhere. You know everywhere, what I'm saying? nowhere. That's yeah. right. You know no excuses. Yeah. No excuses whatsoever. We are everywhere you can get us. We clean. Not like mm-hmm. Kalanji's shirt. We yeah. clean. You know what I'm saying? Yes. yes. I'm just saying. That's you know? real cute. I, I had to throw that in there. You know? I like that. Yeah, I like that. Ah. Anyway, Kamal just got out. You got to be back to the halfway house. Ah, damn. No. 9 o'clock. My wife might call too. Right, my wife might call too. The warning. It is, it is after hours. My yeah. wife might call too. We know. Sleeping outside the door. But they ain't gonna, you know, we ain't rocking with that. How you doing, ear doctor? I'm good, man. I'm ready here. I heard we got a great guest, so I'm, I'm amped oh, yeah. to get into this interview. We yeah. get all the jokes out the way now, because we our our guest yeah. is is like a a a like movement OG. Yes. OG a legend. Movement legend, right? OG. We say OG, we want y'all to know because of the fact that some of y'all get it twisted. I, I was telling somebody about an mm-hmm. OG the other day. So oh, original gangster. No, we ain't talking about that. <laughs> with us, OG is original gorilla. True you know that. What I'm saying? That means you put that work in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and ain't nothing more gangster than uh, brothers and sisters who bang on this system. That's you right. You know what I'm saying? So all that other stuff, we ain't talking about gangster, J-N-G-S-T-E-R. Mm-hmm. No, no. You know what I'm saying? We talk about a revolutionary. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Somebody, this, this brother say Kuo Dinga, who we haven't all mentioned right. already. Yes. Former Black Panther Party member. No, no, Black, not former, veteran. Veteran Black mm-hmm. Panther, oh, my yes. bad. Yes. Veteran Black Panther Party Purple member. Heart. Black Liberation Army. Okay. He's part of Malcolm's organization, Organization of Afro-American Unity. That's right. Mm-hmm. Part of uh, the uh, Republic of New Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. That's right. So we got his brother has been movement, movement, movement. Mm-hmm. And, right? and he comes from the uh, Shakur clan with uh, El Saladin Shakur and, and, and the crew. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he has a lot of political history around That's behind right. him. Someone that we've been studying for years, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, Who's inspired our work? That's right. I wrote my first letter to a political prisoner was Brother Sekou Odingo, and he was locked down. That's wow. all right. And he told me about myself. Oh, he told you about yourself? He told me about myself, right. Because mm-hmm. I, I asked a stupid question. He did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, part of like the Republic of New Africa idea is that, you know, we as a people have to take some of the states in the South. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm from Brooklyn. Right. So in my naivete, I was like, bro, why can't we just take Brooklyn? <laughs> so, okay. Well, hope, hopefully tonight he'll remember that and go oh ahead my and God. smack the sweat out. <laughs> well, he did in his letter. His letter smack. from prison was like, you know, this is based on. Well, let's let's get into it after the break. Oh, you trying to cut me yeah, off, brother? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God yeah, damn, yeah. I had a good yeah. story going. It, cut you off, it, really That's good. what I'm saying. We want right, to come after back. The break. We come back from the break. We're gonna get
Chad the Renegade Coach, we back in the building. True, true. I was going to finish off my story, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, my story about how Brother Sekou schooled me on the purpose and origins of New Africa. Okay, please hmm. tell us. Oh, because I was saying before, like, you know, we went to break. I wanted to take Brooklyn. You wanted to take Brooklyn? Because I'm from Brooklyn. That's how I was born, raised. And I figured Brooklyn is the most valuable piece of property on the earth. That was your so you was, like, you was like Jay-Z. You was trying to... Uh... Fuck that. I'm not like Jay-Z. <laughs> I'm, I'm really Brooklyn. I'm still Brooklyn. Oh, okay. But anyway, Brother Sekou told me, he was like, you know, the new African decision to, to decide that Africans should claim new Africa, you know, wasn't just taken by happenstance. It was okay. taken because, you know, there was an acknowledgement of our history there, uh, ideas around uh, waterways, escape routes, um, agriculture, that is part of who we were as a people. And, you know, he wrote that in a letter so kindly, but yeah. I still felt so small, yeah. and I never brought up again that we should take the People's Republic of Brooklyn, you know what I'm saying? Well, I'm glad you didn't bring that shit up no more. Because <laughs> you know he, he, he's out now, you know what I'm saying? He, he ain't going to be having all that now. True, true. Ladies true. and gentlemen, tonight we, we, we broadcast live playback sound as usual, playback studios mm -hmm. in the historic west end of uh, Rap Brown, Georgia. That's RBG, Rap Brown, Georgia. Free Ma'am Jamil Alameen, formerly H. Rap Brown. And today, in, in, uh, in honor of the whole practicing social distancing piece, we have uh, our, our brother, our elder, our mm -hmm. comrade, mm -hmm. an OG, mm -hmm. original gorilla in the building. We have uh, the legendary Safeway Odinger. How you feeling about it? Good, good, thank you. Glad to see you on, on deck tonight. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. Um, glad to be here. Thank you so much. So you, you have an extensive history. Um, and that history, as Kamal was saying, goes past the Black Panther Party um, uh, and beyond, and, and you're still, you know, you're still keeping it moving. Uh, can you kind of give the people a, a brief overview of your your uh, your historical background in regards yeah. to to freedom fighting? What led you uh, to get politicized and to join the movement? Right. Uh, well, I guess if I took it all the way back, it would probably be when I was a youngster, I went to, I caught a case and got a three-year youthful offender bid. And I wound up in Comstock, New York. Very racist, very, very racist. I mean, like, Missis like Mississippi in the 30s, you know, it was really uh, Ku Klux Klan and everything. And it was very segregated. And to make a long story short, the brothers in there who were the majority and who were treated the worst, we couldn't touch no food, we had all the worst courts, we had everything that was given. You had white, Latino, black. And it was in that, level, in that order. White got the best, Latinos next black the worst. Whether it was a basketball court, whether it was a football field, a baseball field, a handball court, whatever it was, we had the worst. And blacks got fed up, rebelled, took over the joint for a while till they brought the state police and whatnot in and took the joint back from us. But that was the, my first political education. Uh, during the lockdown, which lasted for a couple of months, uh, there was a lot of talk. People were talking from cell to cell about what's going on. This is, this is 1963. Uh, the rebellions was just starting. I think the first rebellion started in Harlem in 1963. That was the year that uh, John F. Kennedy got killed. There was a lot of things going on. So the political talk was live in the, in the cell blocks. And I got a chance to read about what Malcolm was doing at the time. Uh, I had a friend that, whose father had been with Malcolm and he was sending him information. He would pass it on to me when he finished it. Uh, I think you mentioned them earlier. You said something about the Shakur clan. That's who it was, uh, one of the Shakur brothers, Lamuba Shakur. But anyhow, 
I got introduced to Malcolm through his writings and through listening to people talk about him and decided I was going to uh, look him up when I got out, which I got out a couple of months later and did that. I looked him up and liked what I was hearing. And that's kind of what, at the same time, this I got out no, uh, December of 64. 63 and uh, 1964 65 New York had a World Fair. Mm -hmm. I got involved with that the African Pavilion of the World Fair at the time uh, with uh, Ola Tunji was one of the heads of it at the time. Him, uh, Chief Bay, uh, Baba Diddy Zulu, and I started getting involved in the culture through that. Mm -hmm. So between the politics and the culture, that's kind of how I got involved. And you said you, when you got out, you, was look, you looked up the organization of Afro-American Unity. Well, the organization of Afro-American Unity hadn't started yet. Okay, Malcolm was still in the nation or in the process of leaving yeah, the nation. Probably. He was in the process of leaving the nation. Then. But there was a lot of things going on at this time. It wasn't just Malcolm. Mm -hmm. New York was alive with political uh, debate. So if you went up to Harlem, parts of Brooklyn, I, I, I met Baba Herbert Ferguson in Queens mm -hmm. around that time. They was, that actually was the first political event on the streets that I ever went to was uh, a rally to try to get Baba Ferguson back into a teaching position where they had pushed him out of because of his radical politics. So that was around the time that I, and how I got uh, involved. So what would be the first political organization you joined? Was that the, what was that? <clears throat> I guess it was the OAU. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, 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 that was the first one. And after, you, after the OAU, obviously Malcolm's assassination, and I remember from a previous conversation, you said you joined for a while, it was a lot of meetings, but you were anxious to get out and do more work in the streets or with the people. Yeah. Um, and that uh, I led you to join the Black Panther Party. Like, what was, what was the origins of you joining the party? Well, I did, a, I did some other organizing before I joined the Black Panther Party. When I left Malcolm, we started an uh, organization called uh, Take your time, take your time. Uh, we have one of my elder moments. Uh, can't, I literally yeah. can't remember the name of it. The grass. But you, you're part of another organization. Why don't you get stuck there? Because we were yeah. Go ahead. And from there, <laughs> uh, around that time, the riots was jumping off. This is now 1965. Summer of 65, uh, riots was jumping off. And the government start throwing money into the black community, trying to cool things out. Mm -hmm. and they call them the anti-poverty programs. And the anti-poverty program that came to Queens, where I was at, Jamaica, Queens, uh, I got involved in that. And eventually became a youth organizer and was running an office over in Bricktown in Queens, a little area in South Jamaica, uh, as the head of the, coach, uh, the youth, uh, a youth group. From there, I, 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 that's where I really started learning how to organize, mm -hmm. how to actually get out in the streets with the people, meet people, start working around programs that involve the people, programs that people, that help people. Uh, through that, then I heard about the Black Panther Party, that this was like probably two years later when I heard it, 
first time I really paid any attention to the Black Panther Party was when they went to Sacramento with the guns to protest them uh, passing laws to disarm them, the Black Panthers. And when I see that and listen to some of their rhetoric, I said, wow, that sounds like something that we, that's what we ought to be doing, mm -hmm. you know. And so a little while later, after this was 67, around, around the end of 67, early 68, uh, the Central Committee of the Black Panther Party decided that they wanted to open a chapter of the Black Panther Party in New York. And when I heard that they were coming to New York and they were going to be uh, uh, organizing meeting, once I found out where it was at, myself and one of my close comrades, the same brother I just mentioned, Lamuba Shakur, we went to that meeting. And we actually joined that night. And so we were part of the founding members of the New York chapter of the Black Panther Party. That's how I basically got involved with this. So I've, um, in the past, I had interviewed uh, Bilal Suni Ali, and he kind of, um, we did a, a specific interview, this must have been like 05, around the whole Shakur clan, you know, and how that came about. And he mentioned El Saladin Shakur and, and, and that whole family thing. Can you give us a little background on that for folks who are not familiar? Because I know you spoke well, on the Well, Hard Shakur, who was uh, Saladin Shakur, better known as Abba to most of us, the, uh, a, a name of honor and respect that most of us had for him. You know, that's like we say Baba, we call him Abba. Uh, he was the father of Lamuba and Zaid Shakur. Zaid was the, the comrade brother that got murdered on the highway when Asada Shakur was captured. He was one of the elders that encouraged most of the black youth that he run into to get involved in, in, in something that's gonna be helpful to your people. Uh, leave that foolishness alone. He, he was very uh, generous with his, his literature. He had lots of books. He gave me some very good history books. It got me started reading a lot of history. Uh, he pushed culture at us. He was he was a comrade of Malcolm's. He he left the he left the nation a little before Malcolm did though. Mm -hmm. You know he got disenchanted with it also for some of the same reasons that Malcolm did. But anyhow, he encouraged me to uh, go up, listen to Malcolm myself, see if it was something that I wanted to get involved in. But I should get involved in something that's positive. Mm. I became very close to him. He was like a mentor of mine on a lot of levels. You know, he was a, he was a hell of a hustler. You yeah. Know, he, yeah. He used to sell uh, costume jewelry, African imports, uh, leather goods. He opened up a store. He started in the streets. And yes, hustling on the streets and in in, uh, in uh, flea markets and places like that. And yeah. Started taking uh, his goods south from New York down this way and on through to New Orleans. So Brother, Brother Sekou, hold that thought, because we're about to take our first break on Medicaid culture. And when we come back, we're going to get more into your day-to-day -day history with the Panthers and the work that you guys were doing. Okay. So we'll be right back on Renegade culture. Shout out to Renegade Coach, we back again. Yep, yep. with our very special, special, special guest, yes. Brother Sekou Odinga. The brother who, who taught Kamal how to sit down and listen. 
True you that, I mean? true, true. Kamal still ain't been listening too well. He's wow. skipped a few of them classes. But, but we got Papa say cool back. Oh. Let's give him a couple more lessons. Put, right. put them right. things on his head. All praises you know I mean? do. All praises yeah. do. Now you want to worship him. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We'll get it twisted. Anyway, uh, Baba Say Cool, before we uh, stepped off, he was telling us, uh, breaking down uh, who Abba was. He was talking about him being a hell of a hustler and everything. And, you know, yeah. So he, I would say that how he started out in selling on the streets and in, in uh, flea markets, etc. And he eventually got a store together and he did a lot of traveling back and forth to Africa, bringing African imports in and selling them. And it became very, very comfortable with it. You know, he, he, he did very well with it. And he used to take me with him. We used to go from New York all the way through to New Orleans. Once we get down there, what we had left, we'd be sell wholesale all the way down. Hmm. to stores, to the different black-owned stores and stuff like that. Then when we get down to uh, New Orleans, which was a uh, tourist town back in those days, we'd put our stuff on the streets and sell what we had left before we come back up. You know, hmm. so. But uh, mainly for me, he, he guided me into the movement. That's how I... He was the first one that really, adult or a person older than me that really gave me some direction in how to get involved. And so I'll forever love him for it. Mm. So let's, let's go a little bit into your, your years in the Panthers, right? So what, what would you say was your, like, you know, people romanticize the Panthers, but what was the day-to-day -day activity, uh, particularly of the New York chapter, that you guys would engage in in terms of organizing or working in the community? Well, first of all, let me just preface this by saying I wasn't on the street very long. Mm -hmm. I was the first one to win underground. I was on the street maybe eight to ten months. Mm -hmm. uh, early 1969 I went underground. But uh, initially we started out organizing in the community around people's problems, you know. Uh, the first thing I can remember actually getting involved in was organizing a housing complex up on uh, 7th Avenue and off 100, what is that, off 100? 16th or 17th, somewhere like that. Anyhow, I can remember them trying to throw to evict uh, a sister out of out of that the, that particular complex, and uh, somebody coming up to us say, "Y'all say y'all for black folks? They get ready to throw this black woman out in the street. What y'all gonna do about it?" And we just mobilized and went down there and literally got in front of the the marshals and said, no, you're not putting this woman on the street. This is our neighbor, our community. We'll deal with that. You get up out of here. They called the police. When the police seen us uh, grouped up and seen the people hanging out the window saying, leave her alone, let her go. They said, we ain't got nothing to do with that. That's y'all's job. <laughs> police left and we was able to uh, keep her at least for, for a while from getting evicted, which helped organize people. People see that they want to come and know know a little more about these young folks who got enough nerve to stand in front of the marshals and the police and tell them that they're not gonna let them throw nobody out in the street. So uh, everybody know about the Breakfast for Children program. You know, now that they've adopted them in schools all over the country, mm -hmm. but we it, it, that program started with the Black Panther Party. We started uh, health programs. One of our first programs, besides the housing program, was uh, welfare rights. Sisters in the party would go with uh, sisters in the hood to demand that they get what they they had covered in the welfare 
you know, they treat them so bad down there. But when our sisters go in there, they didn't let them treat them bad. You know, you work for us, B. You know, you don't be telling her what you go respect this woman. And so they would get what they had coming for for mm. themselves and for uh, for their neighbors. So uh, that was another program that uh, we we started. So what I'm basically saying that we started organizing around people's problems. Mm. You know, around around the issues that the people in the community were saying that they was having. And so uh, that's how it was on a day-to-day -day basis, mm. you know. Of course, the pigs was always harassing. Uh, they, were, they were just like they are today, murdering our people in the streets, uh, especially our youth, you know, victimizing them, harassing them, locking them up for little or nothing. Same things that's going on today was going on then, you know. So, and we would struggle against that mm -hmm. in every way we could. We would, we get involved, we see the police harassing somebody, we harass them, leave them alone. You don't have no right to be involved in that man walking down the street, you know, that type of stuff. So we got involved with the people. That's, that's what it was, that day to day, selling our papers, we had a newspaper when we started. When, once the paper started, everybody had, I think it was 25 papers they sold. Everybody was given 25 papers. And so you had a week to sell your 25 before the next paper came out. <laughs> you know. that was, so that, while you organized it, you, you, you use that as an organizer too. Yeah. You know? and that was another way that we, another thing that we was doing on the street on a day-to-day -day basis. So you said you were you were pretty much organizing the street eight to ten months, and then you had to go underground, right? So we know um, for those of us who are actively engaged in in nationalism, let's say, you know, we're familiar with the Panther Twenty One. Um, is, is that what you're referring to when you're saying underground first, or? Well, that uh, I was already underground when the Panther <laughs> okay. Twenty One come along. Uh, even though I was indicted under that New York 21, and because we had been infiltrated by the police, uh, they knew where I was hiding at the time, and they tried to kick my door in, but I was able to evade them and get away. So, uh, so when you talk about the underground, can you, can you talk about what were the politics that led the, the Panthers to decide that it was time for some folks to go underground and to not do sort of mass organizing, but to get involved in other tactics? Well, I think because so many people were being locked up uh, and so many people were being uh, physically attacked that there were those of us who felt that we had to defend ourselves, we had to fight back, we had to uh, offer a consequence for the dirt that they were doing. So, as it is today, it was back then, police do what they want, there was no consequence. Mm -hmm. Justified, it was always justifiable. So, when we come along, there was a consequence. You know, you attack us, we attack you. You shoot us, we shoot back, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, the part of, part of the history, though, is that it, that decision helped split the party, right? That's, that's the public part of the history. Like some of the, particularly the West Coast, except for maybe Eldridge and Kathleen. I don't believe that. Yeah. No, I don't think that's that. that well, so what, what would you say helped split the party? Or what, what, like when you say you don't believe it? Well, there was a lot of things that uh, came about to split the party, mm -hmm. but I don't think I think people on the West Coast were doing the same thing. They were fighting back. They, they, they picked up guns. They, they defended themselves out there just like we defended ourselves here. And they defended themselves in the South. They defended themselves in the Midwest. You know, I think uh, a lot of things brought about that split. Mm -hmm. A lot of things. And I'm not going to sit here and try to break it down to you. It will take too long. But there was, I, I often say it was a lot of the brothers and sisters moved to the right 
because of uh, economics. They were offered a lot of money, they were allowed to make a lot of money in illegal ways without the pigs messing with them. And so they decided that they would rather live a, a easier life than what we had been doing. So I think that was a big part of it. But all of that was part of the counterintelligent program, what mm -hmm. we call the COINTELPRO. Mm -hmm. The COINTELPRO was actually a very successful program for the, uh, the government. The, uh, and I give them the biggest credit for, for the split. Even though they were able to use our a lot of our weaknesses, yeah, yeah, things that where they were able to, like we were so heavily infiltrated, they knew our weaknesses. They could see them very easily, and so they were able to uh, uh, use those weaknesses to help destroy us. You know, we we mentioned the. Uh the New York 21, and a lot of times we take for granted that, you know, everybody knows the lingo, everybody knows what's going on, or whatever. Can you give us a, a idea for the listeners, the viewers, um, the new folks who's coming along, you know, what, what that whole New York 21 thing was New about? New York 21 was a, a, a legal case that came about in the spring of 1969 where uh, the government, along with uh, the, the New York uh, 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 Police Department, FBI, et cetera, came up with a, an indictment of 21 people in New York, many of them being in leadership of the uh, New York uh, Black Panther Party, especially the Harlem Bronx sections. And what they what they did was try to move some of the most more militant leadership off of the streets, which of course made the chapter have to concentrate on trying to get their leaders out. Mm -hmm. rather than doing all that other good work that we were talking earlier about what we were doing. So now instead of being uh, down at the welfare office with the welfare mothers, being in front of the marshals, uh, blocking people from getting uh, evicted, uh, doing all the other work we were doing, now we were at the courthouse fighting to get our leaders out, you know. And so uh, that's what happened. It was a lot of bullshit uh, charges, blowing up the botanical gardens, or the blow up, if you could, blow up a, uh, the Lincoln Tunnel or the Harlem Tunnel, or just gonna easy. blow up uh, department stores during Easter when our people are uh, uh, thickly in there. Just things that everybody knew we would never do, mm -hmm. we would never be involved in. But I often say that I don't think that he was as, as a, uh, intent on finding us guilty as they was of getting us off the street and, and, and interrupting the work that we were already doing, which they were very successful in doing. I think at the time was the longest trial ever at that New time, York State. Yeah, yeah. New York had years. never had a trial that long, yeah. you know, that big. But uh, the acquittal took what less than a few hours. Like I think it was like one of the fastest. Everybody was <laughs> found guilty, even people who wasn't in the courtroom, like myself. I mm -hmm. was in Africa, but I was tried in, in Abstentia. Yeah, and, uh, we was all found not guilty uh, after about I think they delivered they they uh, de deliberated less than two hours mm -hmm. and they were back with a, 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 not, a not guilty of all charges and it was a bunch of charges but they were found not we was all found not guilty of any charges so it was a a, a, a great 
defeat for them. Uh, but not no real victory for us because they were able to get us off the street for two years. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, and during that two years, the party just about was broken up. You know? So uh, Cartel Pro was pretty good and pretty successful in that, I thought. Right, so so they didn't they didn't stop that uh they didn't stop there. We know that you and some of your comrades ended up um, being jammed later on. We know Ruba got 19 years, or he's doing 19 before he even looked through A lot of brothers got, well, brothers went to work, you know, they was involved. They didn't stop working, you know, even as the party started falling apart. Right. Brothers, was brothers and sisters were still working and struggling, you know, doing, doing the different work that they were doing, you know. And so the, the government kept at you, you know, they kept locking people up the false charges and some charges that were true, you know, I mean, because when you fight back, the revolution has always been criminalized by the oppressor. Mm -hmm. the, uh, as far as the, the oppressor is concerned, to struggle against them is criminal. Right. That's the criminal offense, even though the highest law of the land say it ain't, you know, uh, International law gives all oppressed people the right to struggle against their oppressor by any means, including arms. Uh, and this country is a, a signatory to some of those treaties, you know. So it really is not uh, an illegal, uh, in terms of the law itself, but this is a lawless government and it no, when the, when the law goes against them, they don't, they don't respect no law. Mm -hmm. So when we come back, we're gonna ask Brother Sekou about what's happening today, because mm -hmm. we know these streets are popping. Um, what he sees is sort of the challenges and the, and the similarities and the differences about what's going on out in the street. Um, and uh, we're gonna get deep into that and talk about that real soon. And we're gonna do a bold question that we're gonna ask Brother Sekou. Now, Brother Sekou, we're gonna do this bold question we're almost embarrassed to do it because you are such an important guest, but <laughs> our producer has threatened to kick us out if we don't um, and call the police on us. So, you know, he's a sellout, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> well, he, he, I'm going to backtrack on that. You going to backtrack on that? He definitely didn't threaten to call the police on oh, us. Oh, my bad. My, because, bad. my uh, jokes. Because he, he wouldn't be here if he threatened to call the police. Uh, <laughs> so let me, let me just say I'm that. We joking, but we ain't gonna give him, I ain't gonna do him like that. You know what I'm saying? Come out colder than the white man. I'm, no, I'm, I'm no Karen. All the Come on bus. Oh, oh, my bad, my bad. Plus you got too much weed up in this place to call the cops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, uh, we're gonna answer this when we come back from our break. What did the older generation forget to teach the younger generation uh, when it comes to struggle? So we're gonna be right back on Renegade Culture and talk about that question. Black guy. Chad the Renegade Coaches in the building, live and direct with your favorite host in the whole world. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yo, this is Kamal K. Franklin here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And with, um, I forgot the other dude's name. Who's yeah. Here. What's that dude's name? Wow. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, Shout out to my man Kamal. He's been consistent, you know what I'm saying, ever since he got out of rehab, everything's been all right. Oh. So we glad. We glad he bought that life right now. Oh man. Um, we had, we had a good week. We had a real good week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a whole lot of uh education, inspiration, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, uh, you know, we had a lot of uh things going on, PE wise, political education. True that, true, you true. Know what I mean? Shout out to uh Daruba Ben Wahab, Bilal Sunni Ali. Yep. Along with uh Seiko Odinga for coming through to the community house and uh, giving some of the youth of today and some of the uh, new organizers mm -hmm. a, a, a little bit of uh, light yeah. to look down that tunnel. You know what I mean? So that was a real good piece. Yeah. We're going to kick it off with this uh, question this that question. the ear doctor came out with. The ear doctor's in the building, by the way, y'all. We yeah, know y'all yeah. haven't seen him. Yeah. And, and he's matching twice in, in a row. I mean, I can't believe it. I know, know so, right? Man, no you can't see him today. 
Huh? No, no dashiki today? Okay, no. I right. It looks like his little sister's t-shirt. That's Whoa, the only like his little sister's t-shirt. I'm not going to talk about them mom jeans, them auntie jeans. Oh, man, who got on their mom jeans? Said, yeah, Yo, auntie what's wrong with you, man? These are stylish jeans, son. Right, yeah, come out sitting here with some jeans with some creases in it. <laughs> you, you talking <laughs> about jeans? You from Cali. Dude got some tough skin jeans from Sears. But anyway. Yeah. You know about Sears, don't you? Yes, let's go to that. All right. What did the older generation, Brother Sekou, what did the older generation Forget to teach the younger generation. I feel like we can answer this question too since we, yeah. yeah. But I want to start with you, brother. Please. I don't know. Uh, you know, I probably would say that we didn't forget to teach you nothing. What we forgot to do was to grab your hand and bring you along. True. You know, uh, you know there, we have a whole generation separation from, uh, from this, uh, the brothers and sisters that struggled for in the 60s and 70s. Uh, they, I think the pigs did such a good job that uh, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't keep that continuity there. There was a, a real yeah. It feels like there's there's a there's a historical break, a, a split there yeah. Yeah. where our children. When I say our children, I'm talking my generation, uh, my children children of, of my comrades, very few of them joined the, joined the struggle. Mm -hmm. They see what happened to their moms, their fathers, all of, all of them that got killed, all of them that was locked up for years and years. I did 33 years in prison. So most of my, my life, my children was without me, you mm -hmm. know. But they were very young when I went in prison and they had children older than they were when I went in prison, when I come out of prison, mm -hmm. you know, my grandchildren were older than my children was when I went in prison. So uh, I think they see what we went through and made a conscious decision. I'm not going to take my children through that. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. even though I know we, it's our responsibility to struggle. I'm going to struggle in a nonviolent way, in a way that won't take me away from my kids. Yeah. And, and we, my generation, said it's okay. Because mm -hmm. we know, we realize what we put our children through and our wives through and our moms and pops through. And so we understood that they didn't want to go through that at that time. And, and we actually, I felt personally, on a personal level, I felt like I had sacrificed where they don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't have to go through the same thing I went through. Though, in reality, they do. Every generation has to carry it on. It really do. We have to make that sacrifice mm -hmm. if we're going to be free. And it's a hell of a sacrifice to do. But no one can make you make that sacrifice. You have to decide that you're going to make it. But it was on us to do that. Our generation did say, no, you coming with us. You're going to learn how to mm -hmm. shoot this gun. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn, you're going to learn how to deal with that cracker. When he comes, you're going to be ready for him and you're going to do this. We didn't do that. It feels like most of the struggle, I mean, obviously it's always been different people have different interpretations or different ways in which they choose to struggle. And obviously there's the, there's the civil rights struggle, right? Which has always been about changing laws and policies and, and elector, electoral politics. And it seems like that more than ever post the Panthers became the dominant strain of what people thought struggle was. And even today, when people think they're radical, they think they're radical by going to the state house and getting some policy change right. and not the stuff that you talked about earlier, standing in front of the marshals and stopping them from evicting people and creating a whole culture in the street that says, it don't matter what your policies say because we control this block, we control the resources, we control the infrastructure. Instead, it's everybody's directed towards Capitol Hill. And like you say, I mean, again, and some of these are really good people, but there's money in that, right? There's, there's resources in doing it that way, that, which is somewhat acceptable and some ties to the Democratic Party. And I think that's something that still we struggle around as a movement around what it means to be sort of radical and, and, to, and to take control of our, of our destiny. 
Well, I think we uh, we could, could take that a little further and say that we don't have much of a, a movement today. Our movement is so splintered now to say that we have a revolutionary movement, uh, uh, liberation movement today might be a misnomer. So how do you feel about the Black Lives Movement? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've met some of them, you know, and I, I like them as individuals, but they're not ready to lead mm. to no systemic change. Mm. They're not ready to make no real commitment to revolution, mm. I don't think. Mm. They're not ready to be on the block day in and day out. They've made a conscious effort and a conscious decision not to be on the block. They, you, don't, you, you can't find a, a Black Lives Matter uh, office in Holly, no, no uh, hood you go into. Mm. Like I said, that they ran into our office and told us that they were getting ready to evict uh, the women there. They can't do that to Black Lives because they, they, they're not there. Mm -hmm. They made that a, a, a conscious decision that they wanted their structure to be such that they couldn't be uh, identified and, and attacked in, in, in that way. So, yeah, it feels uh, like it feels so like the my feeling yeah. about them are they they reactionaries, not in, 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 not in the sense that they they uh, they reacting against revolutionary people, but they react to struggle, to uh, issues. Mm -hmm. If something happens, mm. then they'll come out and react to it, and, uh, and then they'll disappear again until something else happened, and they'll be there to react to, to it. Mm. That's not a, a way to really bring about a revolutionary change, but it's a conscious, it's a conscious building uh, 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 act. Mm. So I think it, if you ask me, would I rather them be there or not be there? I say I'd rather them be there, right. you know, because they do raise the consciousness uh, to a point. And, and, and the big point of consciousness that they raise is that people can do something when they come together in large numbers. Mm -hmm. So they, they're exercising people power in their own way, you know, because yeah. Black Panther Party used to always say power to the people. Mm -hmm. And even though they didn't start like the, like, you know, they didn't start the, the mass movements in the street. I mean, that was started because Trayvon Martin was killed and that was started because mm -hmm. Mike Brown mm -hmm. was killed and those local folks got Before out that. on the street. Troy Davis. You were Troy Davis, but I mean like in this current right, era, right, right. like those folks stay like, but they did, like you, like, you know, they provided some mass consciousness because that slogan was created. And now that slogan is dominated, again, whether or not people like it or not, it's created a certain atmosphere of folks speaking up. Yeah. But I agree, like, it's not, it's not revolutionary. It's not a vanguard. Movement. Yeah, yeah. Right. But I, th I think on top of that, I think that what's going on right now is the organization, quote unquote, is being credited for uh, any actions in the street, anything that's going on. Yeah, they they get a lot of credit that they, they, that they don't really deserve. Have nothing to do with, yeah. you know what I mean? And that, but, and that's, yeah. So would you, when you say reactionary, um, they would kind of be closer to responders, um, sort of like uh, Al Sharpton. I don't, I don't want to narrow them down to camera chasers, but I would say more hashtag chasers. I think where Sharpton was more of the in front of the camera type, uh, individual, I think they're more like you know the new hashtag retweet type thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? For my my opinion, what would you say to that? I wouldn't argue with it. Yeah. I mean, I think they do a combination. I think they they chase hashtags. I mean, no one no one chases ambulances like Sharpton does. <laughs> um, but I you know, but they also will hold mass you know, demonstrations. He, chased, and he, so forth. he, he yeah. chased caskets. He chased he, exactly, he chased, exactly. My bad. He, he, he does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 He chased ambulances to want to brawl it. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I think the game had to change. It's more technological now. People are on the web doing this, that, and the third. They don't have to have like a physical space, like you said, how they would come in and, and bum rush. They the don't spot. have to, but they need it. Right. Mm. They we, really need it. Yeah. That's. Yeah. 
if you're going to really organize the people for a change, mm -hmm. if you talked about revolution, then you have to get out there with the people. You got to right. be above the people. You got to live what they live in on a day-to-day -day basis, organize around what they, their problems are mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. So, uh, this, at least that's what I think. Mm -hmm. uh, you yeah. get, it, it's, a, it's a real need to be in the trench, mm -hmm. you know. Now, I'm not saying that what they do don't do no good, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's, you know, you can say what some of the politicians do can be some good if they bring some money in, into the community mm -hmm. for this program or that program, yeah. this youth program, or that, you can say that's something good, but it ain't gonna bring about no change. Mm -hmm. It's gonna, it ain't gonna stop Trayvon Martin from getting killed, the next Trayvon Martin. It ain't mm -hmm. gonna stop the next uh, Eleanor Bumper from getting shot, you know, or any one of the other like brothers or sisters yeah. that you want to name, mm -hmm. what happened to them, what they doing ain't gonna, ain't gonna they go bring about a change. So what are we looking for? Uh, reform? No, we, no. What are we looking that, for? That, that, that's what they are. We talking revolution. Revolution and abolition is different from reform. Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what they are, a reformist type situation. Yeah. They're looking right. to change policies and change laws. They're looking to say, okay, um, you know, uh, the, the chokehold is banned as if, if it's not common sense that the chokehold should have been banned and has been banned. And yeah, I was gonna say the chokehold in some there some jurisdictions, like in New York, even though it wasn't a criminal act, it was it was banned from like police policies. Don't yeah. mean they not using right. it, right? Right. So, right. Yeah. Shoot, shooting some shooting people in the back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's all, that's yeah, it's it's always been illegal. <laughs> right. It's so, always been illegal. Right. Yeah. So but when yeah. they do it, it's justified because they the ones that have the last word on what's right, what's justified and what's not. Yeah. Right. So until the people decide so the people take the power. Mm -hmm. You know, when we talk about police, we don't talk about uh, police review. We talk about or police reform. We talk about police control. You know, that the people must control the police. They must have the right to say, "We hired him. We're firing him. Mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, lock him up." for what he did, I don't care what color his suit was. It mm. could be blue, brown, gray, whatever it is. Uh, if the people got the power, then you can bring about some changes. If they know, like I talked about earlier about consequence, mm. if they know there's a consequence to shooting you, then they'll, yeah. they'll think twice before shooting you. If they know that they're, they're gonna lose their house, their job, they go to jail, the children gonna be without them for the next mm -hmm. thirty years. That big, that make them think a little different, you mm -hmm. know. Right. And that's one of the things about this current time that I do appreciate about some of the actions that the protesters and demonstrators have taken, because some of some of which have started to say, "Let's exact the price." Going back to some of the uprisings that we have and before. This is the people. This yeah. ain't no group. This ain't that's no right. one group right. doing. Right. This ain't right. Black Lives Matter doing that. Mm -hmm. This is large numbers of people of different uh, nationalities who said enough is enough. Mm -hmm. right. uh, so yeah. what, see if the, if, the, if the Black Lives Matter folks had been in the neighborhood, in the hood, they could use this point now to organize the people. Right. See, right. That's, right. that's what we need now. But I don't blame them for that because that, that's not who they are. I, mean, that's our, I put it like that's that, right. that's us. That's I our fault. I'm not blaming that's nobody for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am though. I'm, I'm saying that's our, I, People like me who consider themselves to be part of that revolutionary um, history of organizing in the street, we got to do a better job right. of connecting to our folks, of building out organizations, yeah. of building chapters, of finding ways to, to make people respond to our revolutionary or, and or radical efforts as opposed to thinking that some of these reform efforts are the only way to go. So that's, that's all what I mean by that is like, you know, we have to, we have to step up our game mm -hmm. right. to get this work done. And, and schooling folks on the difference between organizing and mobilizing, because there's so much mobilization going on that they forget to organize. Folks are happy that it's 10,000 people in the street, but then after, you know, the, the mayor say go home, <laughs> then, you know what I'm saying, everything's, 
everything's done. Mm -hmm. It has to get back to a point where there's almost a vanguard situation where you're saying, okay, boom, no, we're not going home. This is what we're going to do. This is where we're meeting at. And when this go down, this is how we move. And when they got, grab these cats, yeah, these yeah. other ones come out and, and so on and so forth. So yeah. yeah you um, have to have an organization with goals. Right. Yeah. With, with, we're, we're fighting for a particular yeah. change, a particular goal. We go to abolish the police. That's the goal. We're going to take control of the school boards. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. We're going to control our hospitals. We're going to control. These are the goals that we have. Then, then we can have something to aim for and to organize for and to, and to be able to say we've been successful. Mm -hmm. Right now, we, we say we were successful because we got 100,000 people in the streets. Mm -hmm. yeah. But so, yeah. nothing changed. All while this has been going on, <laughs> if you've been watching the news, they've been killing us. Yeah. Right. The police has not stopped killing us because we're in the streets. Mm -hmm. right. You know, all they're doing now is just making it more. And that some of us now getting, immediately getting fired. Some of us now going to be charged with uh, crimes against the people. Mm -hmm. so, That's what's happening from all this mobilization. But it hasn't stopped the killing. It hasn't stopped the brutalization. In fact, it, it seemed to up then. I've been seeing them, well, I think they just see, they showed it more because you see them throwing white folks around now. You know? <laughs> uh, so on that, on that revolutionary note of like what we got to do and how we got to do it and what's mm -hmm. happening in the streets, we want to thank Baba Sekou Odinga for coming on Renegade Culture because yes, um, it's been another lesson for us. Uh, this brother has put in so much work as an OG, mm -hmm. a Panther, BLA, and all the rest of it. Um, so I you know, we just want to say thank you for all your work and your struggle and your ability to teach folks like me and other and younger folks um, which way forward when it comes to revolutionary struggle. Yes, sir. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come kick it with uh, such a dope podcast like Renegade True. Culture. Renegade Culture. We'll be right back. Right Trying to be trife, never face the consequences. You probably only did a month for minor offenses. Ask a nigga doing life if he had another chance. But then again, there's always the wicked that knew in advance. Dance forever with the devil on a cold cell block. But that's what happens when you rape, murder, and sell rock. Devils used to be gods, angels that fell from the top. There's no diversity because we're burning in the melting pot. There they go. I told you I was going to do that, man. Oh, this man. is Renegade Culture. We wrapping up after we had a fantastic show. We okay. had Baba Sekou Odingo on. Okay. We talked about mm -hmm. the politics of the past, present, mm -hmm. and the future. Okay. We want to thank uh, Playback Sound Studios. You can catch us on SoundCloud, RenegadeCulture.org, Apple, iPods, all that bullshit. You can catch mm -hmm. us on. You said iPods. Right. <laughs> I had to throw something in there. Right. He's Playback making all kinds of shit. Anyway, check out the video on YouTube. Go to Playback TV. Renegade Coach TV's The Wave of the Future. Mm -hmm. It's no more podcast in whole goddamn land. They can hear me because I'm dope like that. You know what I mean? Got them addicted. I, I hyped it. But anyway, yeah. we still got Kamau on here, the ear doctor. You know what I'm saying? What up? You know, ear doctor's matching. I told y'all it could happen twice in a row. Twice in a row. The next week, he's going to fuck it up. But anyway, nope. um, we, again, we want to thank our guest, uh, Baba Sekou Odinga. You right. know what I mean? One of the, uh, the, the, the legends. You know what I mean? One of the brothers that, uh, you know, that, that uh, guided us on our work from afar. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't need you to repeat everything I said, motherfucker. Who's the <laughs> musical I mean, guest? I mean, yeah. who's the musical guest? <laughs> Word. <laughs> Keep long wind. Hey, yo. First of all, we got coming here live at Playback Sounds right here on Renegade Culture Show. We got no other coming from the all nice and decent crew. That's right. Yo. The Lions Den. The Lions Den. He goes by the name of Let's get it like this. Good thanks. Renegade culture. Once again, give thanks for the elders that paved the way. It's about freedom, justice, equality, no fake shit. No MTV shit. Yo. 
Laying the back streets, got him a rap sheet. Can't sleep, cause he passing the rock like athletes. Last week, caught his third F. Too much weight for his bird chest. Him and his girl stress, it hurts, yes. Seven months, she pregnant. Puffin' blunts for stressing. Cursing is a blessing. The ending of his segment. Already know he had it. I'm north before the wedding. To heavy for his melon. He a convicted felon. Missing graduations and birthdays. He wanna be home in the worst way. Wish he never slung in the first place. Wishing he could hug on his girl's waist and kiss on his girl's face. It hurts, damn. Oh, <laughs> my